Hey guys, welcome to episode 170 of the JV Club. I am recording this intro very late in the game. I'm so sorry, Katie at Nerdist, uh, for the return to my lady guests with the marvelous Kelly Carlin. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode, guys, and this is going to be short and sweet because I am in the middle of a Comic-Con here on the big island of Hawaii. It is heaven. Wish you guys were here. Some of you are. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy. Now entering Nerdist.com. Pomp and circumstance. <laughs> no, no big fanfare. No fanfare. No, no parade. No rose petals. And I know oh. actually that you were hoping for rose petals. Yeah, I, it's in my writer. Actually, yeah, sorry. yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's um, okay. We'll we'll work it out. Maybe we'll go outside and get post, some leaves. Yeah, just some sad, scattered, <laughs> dead leaves, crispy summer leaves. <laughs> yes, because dehydrated really because yeah. the heat is back. It's really back. <sighs> I disappeared for a few days and I came back. And but when I left it. It started to cool down, and I thought, "Listen, we've got this. We've got this. No. We've out. We're out no. of it." No, no, no. Because Ugh. when I was a kid, this was the big switcheroo. You'd go and get new school clothing, right? Which always was like, "Oh my god, tights, right?" And <laughs> and cool like wool little yes, outfit yes. jumper thing. Sure, have to wear it. Have to wear it the first week, yes. and it's ninety degrees. Yes, yes. So yes, yes. yeah, th- this week I was like, "Oh, those back to school kids. They're all suffering right now." I do. I live in full fall denial where. <laughs> And by the way, I'm from Arizona, and we do have seasons yes. in the sense that it certainly does cool down. Totally. It's more subtle. Of, it's obviously. more subtle. But it gets cold in the winter but it there. it gets cold in the winter. But yeah, same thing. It's like you sort of have this idea of what back to school means yes. that's kind of propagated from the East Coast westward. Those snobs Those crazy there. East Coast corduroy wearing, <laughs> tight wearing, smug snobs. Yes. And it just never quite No. We clicks. try. We yeah. try. Yeah. We want it. But I think that's why I stubbornly lived in San Francisco because that was like, listen, I don't know. I could need a parka in July, in July. and then I could end up the next day sweating my ass that off. So it's true. impossible to know. It's completely schizophrenic aye, there. Aye, aye. You know, you've been up to San Francisco. Did you have you ever uh, stayed there for any long period of time? I know you've done Sketchfest. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've got a lot of friends up there, and so I've spent enough time in all the seasons. But usually, yeah. the, the coldest season is usually summer. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. so confusing for tourists oh, too so when you great. tell people like, "Oh, we're going to San Francisco." I'm like, uh, "In July, bring a sweater." Bundle up, and they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Well, the fog comes in, and oh, you're yeah. going to be really unhappy." Oh God, it's so great though, <laughs> Kelly. Leaving here, it wasn't so much like this this summer, but we programmed comedy at the Outside Lands Music Festival, um, which is where I was mentioning I podcast Ron Funches, mm-hmm. and the 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 two years before this year this year was pretty balmy because i guess it's been unseasonably hot everywhere including the the part there was one morning where it was foggy but um the year before that i was i wore gloves i kid you not i had gloves on because i couldn't in the best way i couldn't get warm because it was just like yeah in the park damn shady damp Uh nestle bone chillingly damp exactly yeah like trying to get a bottle of water open and being like flustered because your hands are numb it was so great i was uh i went to um a leadership thing once which i end up calling my leadership camp i went to leadership camp once awesome i also went to leadership camp now that i think about it and 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 i I did this in my 
40s okay that i cannot say yeah uh and but there were people from like quebec and montreal and we were up in marin county and they were freezing in a way that they've never been freezing before because Uh of the damp yeah like they were like i don't get it why Uh i'm cold i'm used to like 30 below we're like it's the damp yeah it's the chilling (laughs) it gets you the moisture gets you um i'm sorry i have to circle back in on this but this camp i'm so impressed and interested yes i so i what what yeah what prompted so what prompted it was i uh, went and got my master's in psychology mm-hmm. uh, and then came out of that and was an intern for a few years and was like, yeah, I'm, I can't be a therapist. I can't do this. Boy, I hear that. So I decided, well, you know what? I'll take my training and I'll take my performing writing stuff and I'll become like a creative coach. Mm-hmm. And I got certified at this really cool place called uh, CTI, Coaches Training Institute. Uh-huh. And they have this thing called a leadership program, which they originally created to teach people how to be front of the room, teaching coaching classes, yeah. people. But the, the program oh, so is- so actually teaching other people. So it's sort how of to like be co- meta how to, becomes right, like how, how to, to be coaching. lead leaders, but, in other words. This program was so amazing, they decided to open up to anyone, even people who didn't want to be front of the room. But it's kind of for like front of the room or any kind yeah, of thing where yeah. you're leading a community of any kind. Yeah. And it was uh, 10, 10 months. We went for four week-long retreats okay. over 10 months. And one of the reasons I signed up for it was because they had that like um, high ropes course thing. Oh my God, I would love that. And I have fear yes. of heights. Yeah. And part of the leadership thing is like really facing your fears yeah. and really fully stepping into your, what they call power. Yes. Which I just hate those catch words, <laughs> but there's really no other way to say it. I know. And I went, you know what? I'm going because I'm terrified of that kind of stuff. Sure. And I want to go climb a tree and, and scare the shit out of myself. And I did. And it yeah. was amazing. It, it changed my life. Really did. Did you feel having had that experience, did it that also change? Because I, and no judgment because I, I have had experience where I've been completely immersed in an experience in a world. And I think at the time, I think this is true for all of us at the time, I'm like, this is the new person that I am. I'm going to take a hundred percent of this and apply it a hundred percent to my life. Yeah. And sometimes I present, I keep on like, I, I hold on to zero percent, sometimes 50%, sometimes 12%. You know what I mean? But, yeah. but there are certain things like that where I could see that translating to you being more of an adrenaline junkie than you thought you were, or just sort of understanding that that had its place it, at that time and that it informed you in other non-specific ways it, or, you know, what, what I mean? it really informed me about was that, um, all the fear and anxiety I have really is in my head. It's a bunch of bullshit. And that really like permanently changed my life. Like I really carried that over so that now when that stuff comes up, I really look at it and go like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the shit I make up in my head to scare the shit out of myself for whatever reason. Yeah. And I was really surprised at how much of this translated into my life and really prepared me more than anything, it prepared me for my dad dying, which is a crazy thing to say. But I remember the week after he died thinking, <laughs> this is so crazy, thinking, thank God I went to leadership. <laughs> because it was like, I just had this sense of strength and knowing and clarity and a sense of leadership because I'm an only child. And it, you know, there's people around that were part of my dad's life, but it was like, I was like, I need to know what to do now. And I could really feel myself stepping up to that. I felt yeah. part of that strength and clarity came from having gone through this. And I had sure. just finished the leadership thing like six months before my dad died. So it was wow. very fresh yeah. for me. So yeah. 
Was that something, was that camp something that you talked about with your dad that you sort of let him know what you were uh, doing? Yeah, a little and, bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, he was, he was totally into that stuff for me. Like he was like, yes, go and be powerful and stand in your thing and go forth and do well. And so, yeah, he loved that kind of stuff. You know, he of course would make fun of it, you know, and just, you know, I, I mean, I always knew that like that kind of stuff he could usually I'd find like nine months later, I'd go to one of his shows and he'd be eviscerating yeah. that oh, world, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and he'd be like, yeah, I know dad. Thanks. You're welcome. I, You're welcome. You know, that A, I gave you the material right. <laughs> and something to make fun oh, of God. and, and reminds me of like, oh yeah, everything is bullshit in the end. Sure. So you have to take your meaning from it all, walk away with that and know that the rest of it is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that to me, that touches on something I've talked about a little bit before, especially with some of my girlfriends who were in comedy. I could talk for days about the idea of kind of being in a world where, and you know, I think your dad is a perfect example. And that for for my younger listeners, if you are not as familiar with George Carlin, he is uh, absolutely legendary. You probably heard of him. If you haven't seen clips of his stuff, I strongly encourage you to do so. It's one of those, he's one of those people who, uh, I think that you can have an understanding of what was, uh, special about him and what made him a trailblazer in a lot of ways. But I also think like you know sometimes someone uh, spoon feeds you that stuff like some yeah. people call it like spinach stuff like oh i'm getting my spinach history of comedy or i'm getting my spinach documentary yeah. about the world ending or whatever but this is a situation where like to me he's also v- hilarious like it holds up oh, it's yeah. not a thing oh, where you know sometimes i see old like george burns gracie allen and i yeah, want to laugh but yeah. i'm like i think this no. is, i'm too far removed no you know dad I mean? his 30 years ago his stuff is still completely yeah. relevant exactly. which is kind exactly. of scary yeah no but i mean <laughs> it is humanity sort of, has not changed at all <laughs> I mean, self-driving cars anyone um we're getting there technology's changed yeah, but humanity people, hasn't. humans it has not uh, huge Greed is still here. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, so I um, that's I mean that's a great example of you know the sort of like it's true sort of nothing is off limits. But Mm -hmm. you know I went to this retreat. These guys know, uh, uh, several of the people who went who were there have gone and done my podcast since. But I went to a retreat, a women's retreat in Ojai. It was very touchy feel. It was very emotional. It was led by actually someone who I've had on my podcast as well, Mm -hmm. Heidi Robbins, Heidi Rose Robbins, I should say, and. There is a real communication, I think, especially, and I don't, it's really, it's probably not fair for me to make it about gender because I I don't mean it to, because I know so many touchy feely men as well. I know less of them in comedy. So you sort of start compartmentalizing a little for the purposes of this conversation. For sure. Yes. But I think there is a, there was an experience I had, and again, I can only speak to the to the woman of it all because that's where I was, and mm-hmm. these are the women that are in my life that I know, but we are all so able to eviscerate, and we love to, and we're very caustic, and if someone else told us about doing that, we yes. could have a field day with For it. For sure. And so there is this yes. point of reckoning, right, where you're <laughs> yes. like, wow, I really have to marry those, like, this mm. major yin and yang of all of that because I have to be able to acknowledge that it affected me deeply, that I am a very emotional, very sensitive, empathetic person. Yeah. And yet, when I need to, I can step over to this side and completely make fun of the person that I was yeah. in that moment, treasuring all of those experiences. Yeah. And I think that's, that's unusual. It's unique to what we do uh-huh. and to who we interact with. Don't uh-huh. you think? Yeah. And I think it's, 
I think it's healthy mm. because I think if you're only on the side of the retreat, because I'm a practicing Buddhist for 18 years and I actually lead retreats and workshops and do things like that. And it obviously went to this leadership camp thing and was a coach and all that. So I, I could fully immerse myself in that world. And then there's people in that world who are so serious and so earnest that you want to smack them. <laughs> And that, yeah. and then there's people on the other side, the com- we'll, we'll say the comedy world or the, you know, it can be a little more cynical world that are so cynical and so not in touch with their insides that they're miserable. They will never have any self-awareness. So there is a happy medium. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be able to talk to both sides mm-hmm. and make fun of both sides. I mean, I love that making fun of yourself, I think is one of the healthiest, most mature <sighs> things you can do. You know what? I totally agree because I think when you're in that, God, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, I think the person who makes fun of themselves, who is living only in the world of cynicism hates themselves. Yes. But if yes. you're straddling those two worlds and you're able to live in both, there is a sense of, I'm not going to let myself off the hook in right, any way, right. but I'm also going to forgive myself. Yes, yes. And that is like, mwah, you yeah. know, that is sort it's of the, the su- ideal. It's the That's sweet, sweet spot. spot. <laughs> that is a straight up sweet spot. I could not agree more. Yeah, yeah. When you're doing, when you're coaching and when you've lived in that world and what you've kind of taken out of it, when you're the person in charge of leading that sort of thing, do you try to infuse it with more humor y- than yes. you would get on the far uh, left, if you will? Absolutely, or whatever you want to call it. yes. Bring humor into it. Er- reverence try to say the word fuck at least 10 times an hour uh-huh. yeah and and you know this was a lot of my struggle about f- trying to figure out where i belonged in the world because i've always been these two parts and i've always felt alienated in each world because there was no one really bridging this world mm-hmm. and it's been really cool the last 5 years because i've met a lot of people who are now bridging these worlds. Yeah. And, and and that this earnest coaching Buddhist retreaty type of world is learning to not take itself so seriously. And and I'm finding those people. And then the comedy world, there's, there's a lot of heart showing up lately, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and I've found just in general, um, and been really lucky that when my dad died, I didn't, know any comics i didn't hang out with comics mm. i didn't grow up oh, hanging out with comics yeah I mean, yeah yeah my dad was of an era where he wasn't coming up in comedy clubs it was much of a loner kind of a thing and comedy wasn't my thing i didn't like in high school go out to comedy we did other things like drugs which by the way where were you in high school just so we get some context for that uh high, i graduated in 81 i lived here in la okay and I went to uh, Crossroads. Oh, sure, which, sure. Uh, yeah, we've had some. Infamous. We've had at least one Crossroader, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it infamous. Is. Speaking of the sort of earnest, like what you think of when you think of the kind of oh rich liberal, completely. Yeah. And, I, and I was at Crossroads back in the day when, and that's got to be how long had it been around when you it, were in very it? few very years. Yeah. I mean, I was there very early on. There was like three buildings on this alleyway, and now there's like you know Steven Spielberg's built this thing, and there's yeah. like all these actual buildings and stuff, but. But um, back to my point is that I never knew what camp I belonged. So I so I'd go over to the entertainment world camp for a while, and I'd be in there, and I'd be like, "Yeah, but there's no like, ha- there's no heart or soul here, and it's kind of dog eat dog." And 
I can be sarcastic and cynical and funny like anyone else, but I, I need more. And then I yeah. go over to the other world for a while and I'd get all like soothed and healed there. And then it'd be like, yes. And these people are talking about fairies and angels. <laughs> Someone, you know, stabbed me in the eye. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I have to go back over and I would just be like flipping back thinking I can't live the schizophrenic life. And so now I'm just like, all right, I'm just in the middle somewhere. Sometimes I'm leaning this way. Sometimes I'm leaning that way. And I feel a lot more sane because yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh, God. I love that. I can relate to that on so many levels. Yeah. It, 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 absolutely. I shouldn't be surprised. I'm also an only child. Side note. Um, who did you live with when you were in high school, when you were at Crossroads? Uh, were my splitting? parents. Yeah. Okay. So were they together? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. My parents were together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so just you, only child with parents who were together. Because a lot of the time, an only child is an only child because the parents split up in yeah, my case. Yeah, no, no. You know what I'm saying? So you sort of become the lone, no, the lone I, ranger. Yeah. The no, thing I, that, you know, your parents, like that's a lot of only children for me. And, and it's right, like, we were meant one, to be together, but then... we were meant to get together to have you. Right. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. Yeah. So guess what? You need to heal everything. That's right. Everything that we broke. Make it worth yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's so true. But you didn't have that, which I love. Yeah. No, um, no. My parents were together. Did you ever have uh, the conversation of like, did you, were you one who wished you'd had siblings or did you like it the way no, it was? No, I liked it the way it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's funny now. I look back on it now and I talk to people who have siblings and I think, oh yeah, I would have been able to share all the chaos with my sibling or like, you know, have some sort of defense. But see, because I was the only child, I was in the middle of all my parents' stuff and I became what they call the parentified child. Mm. I was the only adult in the household for oh, a you few were. years. Yeah, yeah. Because my parents were doing a lot of drugs for a couple of years. And Is this stuff that people can also enjoy when they, if they want to expound upon it in uh, uh, a Carlin Home Companion? Uh, most definitely. <laughs> I speak of these years. Uh, you guys, uh, this is one of those things where I've wanted to have Kelly on the podcast. And uh, as it turns out, it's one of those awesome serendipitous things where uh, I found out that this book was coming out and... Um, and uh, and I was like, no, hold on, because this is one of those things where it's I don't have a show about cars that we're going to try to like shoehorn <laughs> you growing up into. This yeah. is actually yeah, this a is, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, just like my parents, you're the reason I started this podcast, Kelly, but I didn't know. <gasps> no it pressure. The time. No pressure. <laughs> Make it worth it. Um, so yeah, a Carlin Home Companion uh, is uh, is uh, is about this sort of uh, time earlier to you know and and yeah, post, it's about, but it's, a, it's about it spans my whole life starting with my parents meeting and then up to my dad's death in two thousand and eight. So it's mm-hmm. my whole life experience and in relation to my dad. But yeah, uh, yeah, there's some stories in there about yeah. me being the only <laughs> child and trying to manage it all. Yeah. You know. Hey everyone, let's stop arguing today. You know. Yeah. Let's and, all calm down. And so too you're at this kind of progressive high school. Yes. Um, so you sort of have, you know, it's not like you were the adult at military school either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're the adult in and your family, but you're also in this sort of like, well, how many rules do we need? Let's feel this out. Right. My parents of, are very laissez faire completely. Yeah. And by this time, well, my, by the time I was 12 years old, my mom went and got sober. Thank God. But she almost died from alcoholism. Mm. And my dad, like, walked away from all the hard cocaine and all that kind of stuff which is something guys for those of you who don't know that's uh that's something that that your dad talked a lot about publicly after he went through it yeah and, you know yeah. was very had a great sense of humor about some pretty sobering pun yeah. intended stuff some, some, yes absolutely yeah. and so um i had grown up with my dad you know rolling joints and i'd cleaned pot for him and you know amazing I'd, 
you know, tried to get my parents to stop arguing because they'd, someone hid the Coke from the other oh, one Jesus. and we had to figure out where it was. Right. So, we could stop. so there, yeah, so there was a lot of that education in my household. And then I, you know, end up going to this very liberal, very progressive laid back. I mean, you could get a note from your parents to smoke on campus. Cigarettes. Are you serious? Yeah. Because it was 1978. Yeah, seventy. To control 70, your stress? Yeah. Well, my daughter like, really you know needs what? to. You're, you know, if your kids, if your parents say you you can smoke, you can smoke. That is. Yeah. And we could. We could a get. A stunner. Yeah. We That's smoked amazing. on campus. Oh, it's, my God. <laughs> it's, a, it's, I mean, for the you're like, your teacher pa- wants to talk to you about a paper you wrote and you're like, hold on just yeah. a second. You light up. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> my Marlboro lights. Yeah. Amazing. My cools. Uh, yeah. And um, so, yeah, there was a lot of drugs. You know, I was a teenager, 1977 through 1981. You know. That'll do it. A good time in LA to be a teenager. Sure. You, know, you could get into any club. You know, if you were a girl, you could practically get into any club. Even if you had a bad fake ID, they didn't care. So we went to all the Hollywood clubs. And yeah. older men would buy us drinks. At, you know, we'd go to fancy restaurants and hang out at the bar and let I'm sure they were like 35-year-old men. Like, oh, he's so old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, no. It was like Roman Polanski days. I mean, yeah. it really was. And there was like no rules. And parents like gave... Well, we were very privileged. I mean, extremely. We had cars. We had their credit cards. And we had no rules. We didn't have to work. We... Yeah. It was insane. I mean, the amount of freedom and just uh, money and privilege we had, it was... Uh, I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad to have made it out of it. I mm. mean, a couple of my friends didn't. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, there's privilege there. And then there's like how to kill yourself really fast. Too, sure. Sure. You know, so. Well, that's, and, and I, and I will say this, I, I mean, it does sound like based on your experience at home, it could have potentially swung you in the opposite direction, right? Like the sort of preacher's daughter becomes yeah. this crazed sex vixen. Yep. It could have been that you were like, Oh, I don't, I'm not, there's nothing about this part of this that feels I could have become the female Alex P. Keaton. That's exactly the (laughs) reference I was going to make. Yes. Anytime I could trot out a Family Ties reference, (laughs) you know I'm going to. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you could have sort of, you know, and I do have friends now, and it's a different, you know, they're younger than me too, and it's a different generation, but I have... um, a handful of completely sober straight edge never had a drink mm-hmm. or had any drugs friends. Yeah. And a lot of the time it is traceable back to like, well, I grew up in an alcoholic home. I just saw that and never wanted to yeah. get near that. And, and so was it, it's, I guess what I would volunteer is like, was it so bad that you could have done that? Or was it still, you had a good enough relationship with them and closeness to them that you didn't draw those lines and go, Oh, this equals this. Therefore I shouldn't do this. You know, I, I, I had zero self-awareness going on. And I think because of coming out of the chaos of my childhood years and my mom got sober when I was 12. So hitting adolescence and I think I just had so much, pain and despair and rage around all that stuff that I needed to start just suppressing it Mm -hmm. as much as I could. And by the time I was 14, I was stealing roaches from my dad's stash Mm -hmm. and experimenting with quaaludes and, you know, hanging out with the fast kids. And, you know, I think it was a different time too, because, because my dad was this kind of counterculture God and the counterculture was so divisive in this 
country that there really wasn't us versus them. Mm. So there was never ever a choice of being a them. Yeah. There was just no way because they were so evil and so scary. Um, and I worshiped my dad, so he was a God to me. And so, yeah, I think all of that kind of coupled together, um, and being really an kind of an anxious, depressed wreck. So I started self-medicating. Sure. I mean, as this, usually that's how it starts for oh, most that's people. that's certainly what it was for me. Yeah. I think, it's you it's know. a self-medicating thing. Yeah. I need to feel better. Whatever that's going through my body, this energy, I do not like, and I need to feel different. So I'm going to put something in my body to feel different. Yeah. Even if it made me feel shittier, which at times it did, certainly. Right. But at least I felt in control no, of what I, I was feeling. No, that's a great point. And it's funny because that's what... It's it's interesting to look at. I mean, I had very specific, like everything screeching to a halt uh, because I suddenly ha- started having the opposite reaction of what I was tr- going for. Yep. Like in a very sort of concrete, like, oh, I've tried this now three or four times and I'm having a terrible experience. Right. I don't know You're what happened to logic that person. And reason. Yeah. How dare I? <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting that it kind of does sort of, it sort of switches sides. Like it really yes. was when I was in high school, I think I had the level of angst and indefinable sadness without the responsibility of adulthood mm-hmm. that dr- choosing drugs felt like the best way to control that. Yep. Whereas at some point it clicked over and choosing drugs created this like sense of being out of control and spiraling and yes. who am I and identity and how do I do this? And that just sort of was like, Oh, I see. I wanted control on both sides, yeah. Yeah. But, but I got that from very different ways. And that's the good news. And to have that self-awareness at some point, I mean, I too, in my twenties after getting married to an older man and a lot of cocaine and that thing, like at 25, I woke up and like going, wait a minute, I'm 25. And I'm still in this circle and this self-medicating and waking up and being miserable. I mean, God, binging on cocaine for days and then those freaking birds start chirping at 6 a.m. And you're like, I am in hell. And it is. It's it's a ring of hell. And to finally wake up from that and go, okay, time to get my shit together, you know, and looking at my husband and going, hey, time to get our shit together. And he's like, yeah, I'm on board for like 10 seconds. Uh (laughs) How much older than he was? He He was 11 years older than me. And, um, that tracks for me a lot of the people I was was interested in. He was 29. He was a car mechanic and a cocaine dealer. Amazing. He was married at the time, had a toddler, was like waiting to turn 30 to get his divorce. How did you meet him? Did you meet him? I met him. At the Chevron station at the corner of Wilshire and Barrington. Amazing. My ex-boyfriend was driving my cool 3.0 Beamer that my dad had handed me down to me. And this person, Andrew, uh, my future husband, was a loved these cars and was a really good mechanic mm. of them and said to my boy, ex-boyfriend, hey, if you ever need your car fixed, here's my card. And he gave it to me, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, and a, a pile of cocaine later. Oh, and- my God. <laughs> And yeah, so and it, it was insane. I mean, it was insane. He was on probation for a federal weapons charge. I mean, it was like everything you can imagine. What a the grown wrong up, choice. What like I'm telling my parents, up. hey, look, I'm picking the wrong thing. Yeah. And if my parents had said to me, you know what? You're not going... Oh, and I dropped out of UCLA a few months before I met him. So my parents were like, yeah, guess what? You're not going to college. You're with this older man. You're clearly doing drugs. Um, we're going to like kick you out and cut you off. Like if they had done that... I might have been like, oh, okay, hmm, choices. Mm -hmm. But instead, like three months after I met him, he moved into my bedroom 
in my parents' house. <sighs> and they were just like, okay, this is happening now. Yeah. <laughs> there was like no conversation. <laughs> there was no what's oh going my. on. There was no intervention. There yeah. was just, I think they were both so afraid that if they like, laid down the law finally that I would be like, Oh, now you're laying down the law. Well, screw you. And like, yeah. you know, move to Topeka That's or something. Hard. I do not envy Ugh. that those choice. I mean, I really don't. I don't have kids. I, I certainly <laughs> haven't had them yet and I'm running out of time. So, like, and I'm not rushing out to do it. So I, I don't, yeah, I, I think I, and do you feel like that? Is that when you say that, I mean, it, we laugh about it, but do you feel I, like, I you, don't because think, I do look at the person I was and I'm like, I don't know if I want that karma to come full circle. Yeah. I mean, I, and I ended up being a stepmom for 10 years mm. in this first marriage. Yeah. Um, but I think a part of me, because I, I, because of all of this insanity and because of kind of blooming late, I didn't feel like I really ever got my 20s until my 30s, basically. Mm -hmm. So it was like, well, I don't think I'm really ready for kids. I really didn't want to, I, I didn't know if I was able to make those choices. Mm -hmm. You know, it did, it did scare me. Absolutely. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. Ugh, I just thought that the other day about something. I can't remember what prompted it, but I had, I remember saying out loud, I can't imagine having to choose mm -hmm. when to shut down on your children, tough love wise, to the yeah. nth degree, yeah. tough love yeah. of just, I can't see you or speak to you until you get clean Yes, and having no idea what effect that's going to have. Yeah, I they, think I probably would have done what your parents did, frankly. Yeah, at least like I you're think around. I yeah. We know I can you. see what she's doing. Yep. I know that if she needs me, I'm here. Yeah. I don't have to worry about her in the same way I would if she were outside of the house. Yeah. I mean, I totally get it. Yeah, I, I do too. Ugh. I do too. That and doesn't make it right, but I no, sure it, get it. It doesn't. And I think I might have maybe like said, fuck you to them for a few months, but then probably would have been like, uh, yeah, this guy's crazy. Can yeah. I come home and go to school? Yeah. Yeah. But it just I feels like a I lot mean, to say bank now, on. But, sure. but yeah, I mean, it, it, it did make it easier to just kind of have him become as enmeshed in our family as we were already enmeshed with each other. Sure. And he kind of fit right into that whole, but like the system was like, oh, another person who wants to be enmeshed. Great. Yeah. Come be enmeshed in our system. And how much, what was the age difference between him and your parents? So my mom, did your parents have you when you were, they were a little older? Yeah, they, no, they, they were young. My parents were, were young? In, their, in their early twenties oh, when they hilarious. had me. Um, my so mom basically, was 24. So he was, he bridged the gap yeah. between he, yeah, you he and was, your parents. He was born in 52. Isn't I was born in 63. Funny. My mom was born in 39. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Really was. So he's kind of in that in between thing. And that did after a, a while kind of make a difference between he and I too. I mean, being born in 52 versus 63 is a huge decade there. Mm -hmm. So there was, I mean, even though he was a child and once again, I was the only grown up in the house. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty much replicating my childhood system. I mean, that's what you do. Uh, but there were these generational things that were cropping up, yeah, you know? It's like, it's just a slightly different thing. Yeah. That's interesting because I don't, I'm not sort of a historian in that way. But as I'm, as you're saying this, I'm thinking for the first time, like, it is interesting because I feel like there are certain jumps and pockets where there's, because when I think about the people I was involved with, like, you know, I was with, I, I it's at one point I was with someone who's 13 years older than me for a mm -hmm. while, mm -hmm. but 
his experience of being a young person, you know, sort of the late 60s merging into the late 70s, right. kind of there's not as much it's what true. he remembered versus what I remembered. It's yep. like, oh, I get that you remember, you know, the Reagan era in a different way than <laughs> right. I do because I was a child. <laughs> right. But it's not the same as the yeah. depression jumping to the this yeah. or the, you know, baby boomers jumping to the this or the love generation or this. Yep. And then... Even I think like 10 years after me, there's still some common ground. But then Mm -hmm. when you jump into like millennials that are, you know, now in their, I guess, early 20s or whatever. Yeah. Like from that point on where you grow up with the Internet. Yes. It's like that would be a huge, huge. My friends who, and I'm sorry to say they are all guys, but my friends who are like in their 40s who have like 22-year-old girlfriends. Uh Uh-huh. I do think to myself like, (laughs) I don't know how... I hope it's exotic for both of you (laughs) in some way because I get it. I'm not going to judge you because I wanted to be with someone older when I was younger. Yes. But that is, there are a series of conversation gaps that I would become very frustrated by. Like I can only say enough times on this podcast for those of you who are younger guys, again, (laughs) I couldn't, look anything up on my computer in high school Except, yeah i had Zero. to go to the library yeah typing you know? a paper meant typing a paper yes and if you in isolation <laughs> if you were lucky enough to have a tiny home computer which i did right total isolation right. disconnected from everything yeah, no. except Internet for whatever not, book you had yeah. next to you in college and i went to college seven years after i was supposed to I could take my disc and go to UCLA and bring it to the printing computer there and print out my paper there. Yeah. But in high school, my mom was on the IBM Selectric typewriter. She was a really fast typist and she would type my papers for me. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that was and, and So you were handwriting I, them and then she would read them or you would dictate because or, either no, one, I was either way I love them that. or or sloppy typing them because yeah. I used to take typing in junior high we all had to take typing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now you kids these days you're born typing that's right <laughs> they're just that's right typing out of the yep. womb a little texting. tiny yeah, pda little, yeah exactly. adorable it's so cute it's just so cute. It's so cute well and the other thing too i think about is these 20 somethings um they were children when 9-11 happened and yeah. the whole world changed from that. Great other point for sure. Creating so mechanism. the post pre nine eleven thing too is, yeah. I mean, it's a big. One. We lived. You're I right. lived decades before nine eleven. You know, yeah. it's like the whole world, and then things, everything did change on a big level. And it absolutely did. So yeah, it's. It is. I, I'm sorry, kids. We screwed everything up for you. No, I well, you mean, got the internet at least. I guess that's good. Yeah, there's the, uh, there's some good <laughs> stuff floating around out there. And and so the did you ever have the conversation post all of that with your parents where there is a sort of yes, there was it, a healing. What if and there this was, and what if that? Or yeah, I had you little, know this is how little, I was feeling then. A little bit. I mean, my family. Part of what I write about in the book is how you know my dad was is considered one of the biggest truth tellers, you know, in the second half of the 20th century. And yet our family, we never had a lot of those conversations. Mm. There was just a lot of, okay, things are good now. Good. We'll just, we'll shove all the rest of this under the rug too. So a lot of things got built up and feelings and a lot of conversations that I wish had happened never did happen actually. Um, And some of them did. Some of them did. Absolutely. 
Um, but yeah, but I don't think I could ever say to my parents, God, you know, you should have just grounded me and everything would have been okay. Like right. that would like, that's, that's not going to That work, doesn't do know? anyone any favors no, either it way. Really doesn't, because so I don't know to... if that's true or not. I mean, sure. hindsight, I look back and think, yeah, I probably would have, but I, I don't know. I might've disappeared. Yeah. I, 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 I struggle with that a little bit too, is that kind of conversation you have with yourself where, you know, put in a positive way, you, you ideally don't want to have a lot of regrets because you want to feel that you're in a good enough place now that you wouldn't change anything. Yes. Um, and I, and, but there's something sort of selfish about that in the sense that you also don't want to think that whatever trail of bodies you might've left, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't want to God, also yes. feel like that's, you don't feel bad about that. So it's a really, that's yes. another sort of where do you find the sweet spot? Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know what that is because I think I've been very staunchly in favor of, I don't believe in regrets. I don't, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel like I wish I could go back and do something differently because I can't guarantee uh, to yeah. your point and that you, it would lead me to where I am now. And, and you literally can't go back. You can't So, so you have to, learn to live with who you are and the choices you made. And sometimes that takes forgiving yourself a lot and learning how to do that, I think is a huge, huge healing in one's life. If you can really do that seriously, that's important. And learning to say, you know, truly that you are sorry for those, some of those bodies that you did leave behind. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and taking responsibility, you know, and, and it, so it comes hand in hand you have to have the forgiveness and you have to have the responsibility and neither one of them are easy and both of them make you grow up on some big level, you know? And I think that's a real sign of maturity when you can really say you're sorry and really get like, I really fucked something up and treated someone poorly, you know, behaved badly. And then letting yourself off the hook finally Mm -hmm. going, okay, I was an idiot. I was young. I'm not making excuses, but shit happened and and I made bad choices, you know, and it's done. And this point forward, I'm making better choices. You know, I think that's the ultimate healing is, have you changed your life? Are you making better choices? Are you not leaving dead bodies by the side exactly, of the road Exactly, yeah. You're in trouble if you're just, you can consistently are atoning for a thing that just happened. Yeah. That's not a good sign. Yeah, but no, it's not. Did you feel like, and I, I'm just wondering this because I, I definitely had this as a teenager and this, it's one of the most trackable changes in my own emotional life that I can see, which is going back to the control idea. Mm-hmm. Um, is the idea of trying to control someone else's frustration with me or someone else's sadness at me or like I couldn't live for a second with someone I cared about and often someone I didn't care about angry with me, dismissive of me, frustrated, yes, you know, contemptuous. Uh, it became uh, more important than anything else yes like to an anxious anxiety heart pounding yeah if i'd had to take a test right after my best friend said i'm really angry with you right now yep forget i it. wouldn't have been able to do it yeah, yeah. i just would have because been you're spinning 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 yes. calling i remember a girlfriend of mine when i was in my late teens early 20s being upset with me about something and i didn't couldn't understand what it was and just calling her like a psycho like mm-hmm. calling she's mm-hmm. not answering calling she's mm-hmm. not answering calling just like i can't let this energy exists outside of me without me being a part of it, without me affecting it in some way, without me changing it, stopping it, ending it. Do you know what I mean? And now I'm just not like that anymore. I don't like it, but you know what I mean? I've never articulated it so well, but yes, that is the prison I absolutely lived in. 
And it kept me from trusting myself on any level in life and being able to actually go out in the world. Because if you want to go out in the world, you have to make mistakes and you have, you will step on toes and you will disappoint some people. And if you want to have a unique point of view or voice as an artist, you will definitely be doing that. And it kept me silenced and paralyzed for decades. And it didn't even happen in my relationship with my dad until after my mom died. And I decided I had to, I wanted to tell my origin story and my survival story with, you know, a lot of the stuff that's in this book, actually. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, surviving the chaos and then creating my own chaos and surviving that and getting some self-awareness. And I wrote a a one-woman show. Of course, because that's what you do in LA. <laughs> Speaking of having a sense of humor about the thing. You write a one-person oh, show because it. you know what? There's chances you might get a sitcom out that's of it. That's right. That's so right. that's why you do it also. That's right. But I did because I, it was like uh, Spalding Gray was one of my heroes. So I wanted to do something like that. And now I, listen, that's a very good example of a successful wonderful version yes. of the and that's what I want here's the million yeah. versions of it that aren't I didn't good want a pity party yeah. and I really you know once I wrote the script I really sent it to a lot of people that I knew were going to tell me the truth I'm like I, I don't want a pity party I don't you know I don't want this to be one of those things I don't want to be doing therapy on stage I want this to mean something to the audience mm-hmm. and have a real artistic mm-hmm. thing about it and I wrote the script and it was the scariest most dangerous thing I'd ever done in my life. And it was the first time I just was like saying to the world, I'm here. Like, this is me. This is my story. And it was also about my mom dying. And so it was very poignant. And I'd had quite a spiritual awakening around her death. So the show was really about that. When did she, how old were you when she passed away? I was 34, just turning 35 Mm -hmm. when she died. She was 57 when she died, 18 years ago. And, um, do you mind if I ask what she died of since she was she'd so young? had breast cancer in mm-hmm. my 20s in her early 40s but this was a liver cancer that was not even associated with her breast cancer she had hep C mm-hmm. and a lot of issues mm-hmm. she was diagnosed and five weeks later she was dead she was like oh, it was very <sighs> stage four very scary right. and um, so I sent the script to my dad because he's he was in it you know I tell a few of the stories that are in the book about the crazy years with my parents and stories that he'd already talked about in public. So I wasn't like busting him on anything. And I sent him the script and weeks went by. Hmm. And that feeling you were talking about, mm-hmm. the oh shit. And that's oh, the granddaddy shit. of them all. Right. Your own family, yes. your own role model, yes. your adored my God, father, my your God. Right, my adoring, my adored Ugh. father. And I'm daddy's little girl. And I've been the perfect girl forever because I took care of them and everything. And now I'm speaking my truth. Mm. And some of it's not pretty. Was that the first, was a lot of that the first time that he got a snapshot, if you will, it, of what, what some of the stuff that might really well, have been going on. Well, when you yes, were, yeah. because this is what happened That's was I sent him the script and he <sighs> like five, I finally call him like, get the courage five weeks later to be like, hi dad, mm. um, have you read the script? And he says, uh, yeah, I read it and uh, we need to talk at your therapist's office. Oh, no! <laughs> Go. Okay, then can we do that right now? Because I can't because live with now, the idea that this is what yes, you want to do. Because now I know. And and he knew, too, that because he knew how sensitive I was about this and how I, he knew how terrified I was of disappointing anybody. 
And he now knew that I knew that I had disappointed him. And he actually used in the therapy session, actually used the word betrayed. I feel betrayed by this. And it was over for me. I was a mess of crying snot. I can on the couch just doing this kind of yes yes (laughs) and and what happened though was he looked at me and said I love you Mm. it's okay Mm. but I have to tell you I didn't know you were feeling all these things and I find out in a play that you're about to do in front of a room full of strangers yeah and it was one of those moments where so much healed for us Mm. because I survived betraying him He looked at me and said, I'm an artist and you're an artist and I would never make you or ask you change a single word of this, but I can't be in the audience and watch this, sweetie. I can't go and support you. It's too hard for me. And then, but then he asked the big question, which was, how come you didn't feel you could come and talk to me about some of these emotions you were having, like around when my mom was dying, but, and I will never forget this moment It was like, you know, like when words come out of your mouth and you're like, who's saying those Mm -hmm. words? I said to him, well, dad, I guess I felt like I had to be on your stage for you to finally hear me. It's like, it's like, I was like, I was, we were in a movie suddenly. uh, We're in the movie version of our lives. That's very surreal, but it really makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like this thing, like we can only mm. communicate in this public way because that's that's who we are. For artists. I mean, I think in general, you know, the difference being that for those of us who, you know, I think of the Colin Hankses of the world and, you know, the people that I've had on the podcast sort of getting a sense of what uh, Zelda Williams, another good example, yep. what your, what the, what your life looks like as a teenager um, when you're living in that world, like yes. you were versus what it's like when you're the only, like, as a, like for me as a teen, like it's almost like you, you don't have the room to be the center of your own universe Absolutely. the way a lot of us do. And I was entirely well solipsistic because I didn't have yeah. George Carlin as my dad. I didn't yeah. have Tom Hanks. I didn't have, you know, Robin Williams. And I think, yeah, so you have this whole different relationship to your own art, to where the world revolves, to yeah. where the attention is, where yeah, the spotlight is. Where the energy on. is being drawn Absolutely. towards. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but, but for so many of us who don't have those parents who are expressing their personal stuff before right. we get a chance to publicly, <laughs> yes. you know, you see so many people who feel more, I mean, that's one of the things we make fun of, right? As artists, like, why am I more comfortable telling people I don't know about (laughs) this than the person that this is about who I, by all rights, should really be talking about it with? Talk to any stand-up and they'll tell you, I'd much rather go on stage and talk about this than have a real conversation in a corner with a friend about this. And you're like, wow, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. It's almost like it's from a, I mean, I'm sure this has been said a million times. I don't know why I'm acting like I'm coming up with this right now, but it is this sort of like the safe distance of why someone also would want to watch Oprah but couldn't call their mom to say, I saw this amazing thing on Oprah. And sometimes it does cross that. Yes. Sometimes it takes seeing it, seeing the stand-up, seeing yep. someone saw your show and yep. said, I got to talk to my dad. Sometimes it bridges that gap and sometimes for. it doesn't or sometimes yeah. it builds a little step that you don't even realize right. it's building. Right, a little brick is put in there. That. Yep. Yeah, but yep. there is something so cathartic about feeling like the, what's scary and close about the thing that is painful is less scary and close when you relate it to all these other things that other people are going through and they can also go like, amen, I hear you. I also can't talk about that, but we can laugh about it in this room together. There is something very 
sexy about that but yeah. not and and i think it gets a bad rap on the worst side of it because it is the sort of like mm-hmm. oh you're exploiting and a blah 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 and why can't you just and then on a very spiritual sense it's also like very important yeah right? i mean it's collectively what we do it's kind yeah. of you know it's that highfalutin idea of what the purpose of art is you know is to speak collectively about the human condition you know and, and do it in a way that we can all take off our masks together and go, Oh, okay, good. We're all insane. You know? And, and, and I think that's part of it too, is like being on a stage and saying, Hey, look, look at how vulnerable and insane I am. I know you are too. And I feel safe doing it here. And, And there's something about the intimacy of in your family or with your husband or, and being able to reveal that, that can be so terrifying. It's, and yet it's still intimacy in, in, in oh, its yeah. own way. You Absolutely. Know? It really is fascinating. Well, do you feel like, because hearing that you were able to do, for lack of a better word, some of that work, so much of that work, like sort of with your dad when he was still here, mm-hmm. um, do you feel that you had that with your mom or when she passed away was part of that, that you were dealing with a lot of stuff yeah. post her life that, that was, that you couldn't deal with. Mom and I did, we did come together. We did have a healing and we did get to talk about a lot of that stuff. And there was still some baggage when she died for sure. We didn't get to have all those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the nature, you know, of who she was and, and who we were. I mean, you know, the system, the habits of this, the family were all there, but I was lucky that I felt very close to my mother when she died. And, um, but you know, while she was dying, we weren't having the conversation, which I'd hoped, which is, holy shit, you're dying. And how do we, you know, how do we end this? Well, I mean, there was a lot of not talking going on. It was, we had very much kind of replicated the, you know, the, the 20 years ago, earlier version of our family or 30 years earlier, earlier, actually. And, um, and that was interesting because when you're under stress, you do regress back to sure. kind of like a safety, secure sure. way of being with each other. And uh, that's what happened when our when my mom got sick. Mm-hmm. Our stress was so high; it was we were such crisis mode that it was like, okay, we'll just be in crisis mode, and we'll just we know how to do crisis mode. When you know, deep down inside, all of us, I think, we're dying to go. Like, can we just talk about like yeah. what the hell is going on really here? Yeah. So, and that's part of what I wanted my show to be about was like, you know, how, how I want to do it better. I want to do it better in the future. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to do it way better in the future. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and you know, and it's funny because in the end my show did create, my dad and I learned that we really hadn't been talking. And so we made a real conscious effort from that point forward to start talking on a whole new level with each other. Yeah. So that was beautiful, awesome. you know, so it, it, something great came out of that really horrible discomfort, <laughs> that yeah. dying inside feeling. So yeah, yeah we did um, get to. God, I could do this forever. This has been such a joy. I'm going to get into this mash game soon. Cause I know you have somewhere else you need to be. And, oh, cool. And, but, uh, but the last thing I want to say, and it's hard to transition to something playful, especially because we talked about such uh, intense stuff that this is, my mash game is really going to be the best way for me to get to know some of the more frivolous stuff. But Excellent. that's good. I like that. I like that. Um, but what I would say is, and this is really a very selfish question because it's something that I think about <clears throat> because both my parents are still alive. Neither one of them remarried. Um, I- I'm it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering how that point of reckoning 
has been for you as an only child now having lost both your parents? Do you feel alone in a different way or did you worry about that knowing that you didn't have like, because I don't, I never wanted a sibling, but now that I'm older, there is, that's the only part of me that has a shadow of wishing, which is sort of like we have each other to be responsible for this when this happens and that kind of thing. And I just didn't, Yeah, I'm lucky. I have, um, my husband is my life partner Mm. and best friend. And so I'm really, really blessed that I have him in my life. And, and in some ways, um, the world has my dad. Like I share my dad with the world. Interesting. That makes sense. You know, I'm I'm in charge of his legacy, which is okay with me because I know what he, he wants and wanted. But, um, and so, and there is a loneliness. I mean, writing my book, I think was my way of saying goodbye to them. Mm. And it's like making me tear up. We're going to tear up right before the matchup game. I know it's, I couldn't couldn't have it any other way. But you know, it's like, this was my, like really honoring them and putting it all out there Mm -hmm. and putting my journey out there. But this is my goodbye. I've been carrying our family and our family story Mm. all these years. And I've been wanting to write this book for 10 years. And I knew I couldn't with my dad being alive because it made him a little uncomfortable. Um, And so, and now they're in my hearts in a different way now that I'm done with the book, which Mm -hmm. is really nice. Now I can have like a personal relationship with them again. It's a weird thing having a public father. Oh my God. Absolutely. Who dies. And I'm like, I'm thinking about Zelda right now. And she just wrote this letter about her dad in public and public grieving is very strange Mm -hmm. Um, because you do, you share this person with the world and Boy, that's uh, got its ups and its downs. It, totally, to say the least. Absolutely, and and I've I've lived it all in the last seven years, um, but now I feel like I can have a personal relationship with my parents in my heart, and they're like you know they're in my head all the time, so I'm always having funny conversations yeah. with them and stuff, you know. So, and I should say this is just on my side, but I should say that my cousin Julian is. My brother to me, he's ten years older than I. I have am, a cousin like that brother. too. But yep. that's what I was gonna say. Yep. It's like I shouldn't say I feel totally alone because yep. <clears throat> there is at least that feeling of like he's my blood. He adores my dad. I yep. know that he's always gonna be there for me, and I'll be there for him. Absolutely. And even if we didn't grow up in the same house, that's great. Yeah, but um, you, but blood is blood. I but mean, blood it is really blood. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. I have yeah. a cousin who feels like a brother too. Yeah, and his really parents helps. are still alive. Was my dad's brother, and mm-hmm. he's still alive. So to I still, have that extended family I, closeness. I wanted to ask about that. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, we have a little family, but it's it's good. It's very tight. Exactly how that's so funny. Yeah, God, I, we have a lot of parallel moments. lives. Um, okay, so here is where I'm going to start with my mashes of a uh, fairly easy one, which is three places in the world that it would be fun to have this sort of vacation home that you can disappear to and take out of the equation, like, but it would take forever to get there. It's like you can sort of teleport there, right? Right, uh, so definitely, um a castle like home in Scotland, wonderful. And then definitely a middle of nowhere, like Montana kind mm-hmm. of a thing, ranch kind of mm-hmm, a thing. Mm-hmm. And then one of those cool, uh, tiki above the water, yeah. Bali Great. kind of a thing. Easy to imagine. Yes. All of these. Love it. Okay. Uh, next one is let's go with. Because we were talking about the sort of rope, the rope, uh, the, the ropes, ropes course, ropes course of it all. Uh-huh. Um, three activities that you 
get a tremendous rush and sense of accomplishment from that um, you either have done and don't know if you'll do again or have never done and may not. But in this uh, fictitious world, they are incredibly empowering and and uh, exciting and, and you're great at them. Uh, well, the first one is something that I used to do, which is uh, ride horses and jump them over very high fences. Nice. So I was a junior jumper champion in my high school years. Love it. So that's one of them. Uh, I would say, and I've never done it, but would love to be able to surf yeah. a big wave. Great Not one. one of those huge 30 foot ones, but a big, nice, solid yeah. wave. I would yeah. love to be able to do that in the That's ocean, great. have full power in that. Yes. And, um, and I haven't done this and it's always been a curious thing, but fly an airplane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my I God. Get that. Yeah. That's get gotta be that an incredible feeling. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. This is uh, this is a this is a classic mash. I gotta throw it in there. I feel extra bad now because your husband is your best friend, your life partner, and your true love. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. But it is a we, mash game. <laughs> oh, we have, oh we have lists. When you okay. went for over All twenty right. years, you have so lists. So I'm ready for uh, three. I guess the top three on your list for alternate universe sexy times or ro- or romance long term romance. Well, uh, my number one is Bono from U two. I mean, just number one. He's like he's the guy in my dream that shows up. So that's the way it is. Wonderful. 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 Uh, number two, uh, boy, um, this is a strange one because I'm I'm not bi, but in my perfect world, it's yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer, <sighs> but in Fabulous Baker Boys, like oh in that movie God. specifically. That Michelle you Pfeiffer got me a hundred and fifty percent. Like that version of her uh, must have uh, for sure. I love that you just were able to pull that out of nowhere. Uh, for me, out of seemingly out of nowhere. She, um, I mean, boy, she, no one does like tough vulnerability mm-hmm. in the most tiny, fragile, beautiful yes. face. Yes. She's a, yeah. she's one in a million. Yeah. She, Shout out to Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> like she needs it. She's not around enough. Uh, we need more of her. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Great and, one. And, um, uh, you know, someone like, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gordon Levitt. What's his name? Oh, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, he's great. He's cute, sexy, young. Yep. You know, yep. kind of the young body guy. Yeah. He's got a sense of humor. He's got some depth for uh, sure. And definitely some depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's a great one. Boy, these are great choices. Okay, love it. Um, okay, next one is uh, you can jump into uh, three movies whose reality it's a reality for you so uh-huh. it's like a world that you can go into and hang out for as long as you want visit hang with the characters be in that place could be sci-fi fantasy uh-huh. or can just be you know a fabulous baker boys-esque you know right situation right, but right. three movies would be great to just jump into um the movie fame being awesome. in that high school amazing <laughs> i love it I love it. I like. I, I was not in drama club. I did nothing theater arts. I like always longed to be in that. Yeah. Uh, and then um, something like, ooh, yeah, like uh, um, the the forty the thirties forties uh, L A Confidential. Oh, great, 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 great. Yeah. So like thirties L A. Great. And then, uh, boy, what else would I be in? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go for like um, um, uh, Monty Python on the Holy Grail. Oh, great! 
great, great, great. I love it. Arthurian. I love it. The British England. I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, uh, uh, my must-include perennial favorite three foods that you can have in perpetuity in excess. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make you feel bad. In fact, it's good for you. can be as specific as this one slice of pizza you had in Philly one time mm-hmm. or donuts. Right. Three. Right. Uh, have to be peanut butter. Oh, get in I line. mean, if I did not have peanut butter in my life, I, yeah. I don't know what I That's funny do. because that is was also Dana Gould's answer and he was my very last episode of my last boy of summer. So I'm glad we're keeping the uh, peanut butter through line because it's true for me too. And he's one of my favorite humans on earth. Right? Truly. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, peanut butter, um... Uh, warm out of the oven Toll House chocolate chip cookie. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and uh, because I'm just doing it a lot these days, mm-hmm. uh, well, not like excessively. Don't worry, people. <laughs> uh, a good uh IPA beer. Oh, sure, a sure. good hoppy beer lately has been my Great. kind of like thing that I've loved. Yeah. I love going through pockets of, of like, I yeah. guess that's kind of my thing this right now. That's my thing right now. It's great. It's great. Okay. Um, let's do, uh, you can pick up, uh, you sort of have your own bat phone. Uh-huh. And your bat phone can connect you to, uh, give me three people across space and time. Doesn't matter what era. Just somebody that you could pick up the phone and say, what do you think I should do about this? And they're delighted to hear from you and they have great advice. Wow. That's a great question. That's a great coaching question, question ah. actually. That is a great coach. The inner coach in me is coming out. Yeah. Uh, the first one would be Georgia O'Keefe. Great. The next one would be Jesus Christ. <laughs> you got to put him on the list. Sure. Because, you know, you got to get his take on things. Yeah, absolutely. I'd really like to know what he's thinking about this whole Kim Davis thing. Right I now. mean. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... Hmm. My third one would be my dad. Great. Great, great, great. Okay. Um, next one is, uh, let's do alternate, let's do like alternate universe careers where mm. in this alternate universe, uh, I'm happy to say that it is a sort of hedonistic world where for whatever pleasure you get from your job, it's not like, Oh, this side of it would be really hard though, which would have kept you from right. doing it. Right. It's like only the good about three alternate universe careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a painter in Paris. Mm, I love it. A, uh, ooh, alternate career. Yeah. You know, something like, um, like an inventor of some kind, mm-hmm. you know, like someone who's like in a laboratory and like coming up with some amazing gadget, like Edison kind of yeah, inventing yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Oh, it's going to change it. the world kind of invention. Yes. And, um, the last one would be like, um, <laughs> like person who runs the uh rental uh, desk for scuba gear at a, res- <laughs> great. At a resort great. in Kauai. oh that's great <laughs> i love it i love it boy it's so specific and easy to imagine and completely understandable it's very like like jason Bourne goes off and sort yes. of he's had enough of this tough life he's yeah. gonna just rent yeah scuba just gear. gonna go and yeah, i love just it rent some scuba gear i absolutely love it no stress okay and then this final one will be um as frivolous or as practical as you would like, three versions of 
a, an added on room in your house. It can be a room that's an aquarium that you get to swim in. It can be a sewing room. It can be a greenhouse, three ideas for this, uh, with no, no real, you know, you have all the space in the world and all the money in the world and all the sort of fictional crazy imagination in the world. Uh, three rooms. Okay. So one is definitely got to be the uh, the barn, the horse barn oh, sure. ring th- uh, uh, thing. Sure, sure, Because I've got sure. the horses back in my life. Great. Uh, and then another one would be a, like, a place where... <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, something about, like, like bubbles like there's just bubbles in it i'm almost imagining the fizzy lifting room in lily wonka almost it's it's like that you're able to like like fly up into maybe it is maybe Mm -hmm. it is kind of like maybe you can even like ingest the bubbles Mm -hmm. and fly about Mm -hmm. so yeah something where you can like yeah floating maybe a floating room of some kind i love it i love it and then the third one would be uh huh i don't know don't really there's not a lot of another room in my house um i mean obviously if you're going for floating bubble room i know that you're not like oh god i desperately need a closet for all my shoes that's yeah, a separate room just not but not I, a big closet girl could really pond, actually float, i mean like great you should be, you'd be shocked at how small my closet is right now the one i share with my husband uh Oh, you know what? Like, how about like a living terrarium? Oh, yeah. Great, great, like, great. Yeah. Like, just like you go in and it's like you're in mm-hmm. the rainforest or something I like that. I couldn't love it more. Yeah. I think, I think in, except for the first one, because I was always afraid of horses when I was younger. Uh, the other two are like straight up what I would have like imagined and written about and drawn in like sixth grade <laughs> yes, i would have yes, been like yeah when you yeah. were like drawing out these big we yeah. used to sit there and draw these like big houses and I imagine like all these different i did too I'm like i should have been an architect i think maybe i don't know Listen, and I, I i totally get that i remember the 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 through line in all of mine was i always had a running trickling stream nice with, like boulders through any house that I was nice. designing. Nice. It's I think kind of growing up in the desert, I probably was just really thirsty all the time. I need water. <laughs> so sad. How literal. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, this is just the little thing that allows me to do what the eeny meeny number Some sort sir, of algorithm. She's got an yes, algorithm. Yes, that's right. Going so just on. tell me, you just tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pause this. I am going to do a little bit of calculation. I'm going to come back. I'm going to reveal your 100% guaranteed MASH future. Oh my God. I'm so excited. And, uh, and that'll do it for us. Okay, so this then. is going to, we're going to leave it on it. a high note. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be right back guys. I assure you. The math is happening no now. No time has passed to you guys. <laughs> that might be the first time I've ever been doing this and actually said to myself, oh, that makes sense. Uh, nothing about this game makes any sense at all. Um, okay. I am delighted with the results. Absolutely <sighs> so delighted. Excited to and know. I know you will be too (laughs) first of all you got that castle in scotland oh excellent good uh plenty of room for your horse barn of course which that does make sense it actually does and and you are racing and jumping and i mean you are because you also got that's why i said made sense because you ended up with a horse barn and the horses oh so you're you're taking full advantage of the space and uh and the barn and the horses within because you are just like a daredevil on these beautiful wild horses (laughs) that i guess you've also tamed yes uh of course uh once you finish uh and you're out riding 
those Scottish moors. And when yes. you come in, you just uh, want to have a delicious IPA. <laughs> After a long day, our yes, ride makes those a horses. lot of sense. Yeah, uh, I want to also. Well, you know what? Another another place that you're going to want to just like crack open a great beer afterwards is you are really do like running your paces at the Fame High School. Oh, uh, wow! That you can pop into whenever you want. So if you just need to like get a break from uh, nice. Scot- the Scot- the Scottish Castle and right. just go put on some leg warmers <laughs> and just aerobicize your way to success. <laughs> I'm gonna live. I mean, it's you're like doing handsprings down the hallway. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty big deal. Yes. Um, if for any reason you're uh, you become insecure in some way mm-hmm. at the Fame High School, maybe you don't get that big part in the play that you were hoping yeah, for. Disappointed. Yeah. I want you to know that you can pick up the phone and just call Ms. Georgia O'Keefe. Oh, and just have a tête-à-tête with her. Yes, and get she, a real confidence. We'll get boost. a different, different perspective. From Absolutely her. different yeah. perspective. Yeah, uh, and you know, if it all gets to be too much for you, why don't you just disappear to your rental desk in Kauai? <laughs> I love that you got Scotland and Kauai because those are very, very different. Very balanced. And, yeah. Very balanced. Very, very Terry. balanced. And I'm sure both of those places uh, will be very much enjoyed by your alternate universe husband, Bono. Oh, yeah. well, there you have I it. I mean, this yes. is a major win. Yes. On yeah. all levels. Pretty much, yeah. I have one life. Extraordinary. Yeah. I can't wait to read your book about this life. <laughs> that, <laughs> now you have a second. It's so weird. I was going to... I'm I'm actually writing about that life right now. It's so weird that that ended up being. This is you're serendipity. very magical. Thank you. You've got some magic thank in you. you. Hello, um, uh, Kelly. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. This has been so. This has been fun. Great. I feel very spoiled by it because this is one of those episodes where I'm just like so full and sort of whirring around <laughs> with like all the stimuli <laughs> and the sort of mutual understanding and uh-huh. empathy that I uh, mm-hmm. that I experienced. Um, please tell the the fine people uh listening to this podcast um uh, uh, where they can get the book how they can find you all those good things you can find me on my uh website kellycarlin.com i'm on twitter kelly underscore carlin great my book comes out september 15th you can find it in actual bookstores they're putting it in lots of independent bookstores go support your independent bookstores and if you live in the middle of nowhere and don't have a book store go online and it's everywhere of course and do you want to do a giveaway like where i ask people yeah. to we could do a, i can have you sign this copy yeah, when you're yeah, here yeah. that'd be great and then we can do uh if, if if you guys are interested i welcome you to just send me a, an email that i'll share with uh kelly we'll just look at um you know we'll pick b- between the top three or something um and and what would you like the 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 short email to be about what um part of a, something about, about someone's family or a realization they had about their parents, a, 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 uh, a landmark a Yeah. Um, what did you do to betray your parents? Hey, that's great. <laughs> that's great. What did you do to betray your parents? I absolutely love it, guys. I can't wait. Um, and we'll just do this. Uh, I'll, I'll just uh, open this up for a couple weeks, basically, till the book comes out. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, and then we'll we'll send this out to the winner. Uh, my treat. And um, and uh, it will be a nice signed copy. And I'll send you something from me too, maybe a T-shirt or something. And um, in the meantime, thank you again so much. Thanks for having me. It's Welcome. A blast. I'm so glad you're the first uh, woman back after our delightful boys of summer. Hear us roar. Hear us roar, guys. I'll uh, talk to you next time on the podcast. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.